The following episode is certified grim for adult themes, sentient bushes and dark subject matter and may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello there and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a Brothers Grimm tale. My name is Matthew Hughes and with me on this journey is my co-host Mr Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading. The Sleeping Beauty of Rose. So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a Grim Reading. A long time ago, there were a king and a queen who said every day, Ah, if only we had a child. But they never had one. Oh no, the end. That, that is a really succinct, sad story. It's really been extrapolated by Disney, that. Yeah, they, I, they fleshed it out quite a bit. I'm impressed. But it happened that once when the queen was bathing, a frog crept out of the water onto the land and said to her, Your wish shall be fulfilled, Ribbit. Before a year has gone by, you shall have a daughter. What the frog had said came true, and the queen had a little girl who was so pretty that the king could not contain himself for joy and ordered a great feast. He invited not only his kindred friends and acquaintances, but also the wise women in order that they might be kind and well disposed towards the child. What? There were 13 of them in his kingdom, but as he had only 12 golden plates for them to eat out of, one of them had to be left at home. Are you with me? Yeah, I think so. Surely in his whole kingdom he could get another plate. You can't leave one of the wise women at home. Oh, well, he's going to find that out as well. The hard way. (laughs) Yes. Should I listen to me? The feast was held with all manner of splendor, and when it came to an end, the wise women bestowed their magic gifts upon the baby. One gave virtue, another beauty, a third riches, and so on, with everything in the world that one can wish for. I thought I was going to hear them all, then. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past the Grimms to list (laughs) them all. Just list them all out. And a lovely (laughs) necklace. When 11 of them had made their promises, suddenly the 13th came in. She wished to avenge herself for not having been invited. And without greeting or even looking at anyone, she cried with a loud voice, The king's daughter shall in her 15th year prick herself on a spindle and fall down dead. And without saying a word more, she turned round and left the room. And then the twelfth one's like, and here's some slippers. <laughs> it's like really overshadowed my present. Thanks for that. <laughs> it was like, that was going to be my gift. <laughs> oh. What a lovely present. <laughs> I didn't know these were magical wise women. That's, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, big time, big time. They were all shocked. But the twelfth, whose good wish still remained unspoken, came forward. And as she could not undo the evil sentence, but only soften it, She said, It shall not be death, but a deep sleep of a hundred years into which the princess shall fall. So she's tried to make it the best of a terrible situation. She's watered down the gift of death, yeah, Yeah. to a sleep of a hundred years. Still not great. No. (laughs) The king, who wished to keep his dear child from misfortune, gave orders that every spindle in the whole kingdom should be burnt. Meanwhile, the gifts of the wise women came true for the young girl. For she was so beautiful, modest, good-natured, and wise that everyone who saw her was bound to love her. Wow. 
<laughs> you are so beautiful, modest, good-natured, and wise. I love you. <laughs> and all the other things that the other people gave that we don't know. Also, if they have another kid, what are those fairies going to give her? I know. It's going to be awkward. <laughs> all right, so that's all done. Right, she's mm-hmm. got her wishes and she's growing up. It happened that on the very day she turned 15 years old, the king and queen were not at home, and the maiden was left in the palace quite alone. Why weren't they at home? It's their 15th birthday, for crying out loud. That is shoddy parenting. Shocking, that is. So she's on her own, but she's got the whole palace to herself, which is great. Yep, party. (laughs) House party. (laughs) Parents come home. The king and queen come home. There's like police cars. They're like, what's (laughs) what's happened? (laughs) Look at the mess you guys have made. It's wrecked. It's ruined, this castle is. Sally, what am I going to tell your (laughs) mum? Oh, dear. So she went round into all sorts of places, looked into rooms and bedchambers just as she liked, and at last came to an old tower. She climbed up the narrow winding staircase and reached a little door. A rusty key was in the lock, and when she turned it, the door sprang open, and there in a little room sat an old woman with a spindle busily spinning Mm. her flax. What are you doing here? (laughs) Good day, old dame, said the king's daughter. What are you doing there? I'm spinning, said the old woman, and nodded her head. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Mm. What sort of thing is that that rattles so merrily? She's never seen one. I know. And she took the spindle and wanted to spin too. But scarcely had she touched the spindle when the magic decree was fulfilled and she pricked her finger with it. And in the very moment when she felt the prick, she fell down upon the bed that stood there and lay in a deep sleep. And this sleep extended over the whole palace. The king and the queen, who had just come home and had entered the great hall, were back. <laughs> they began to go to sleep. And all of the court, too. The horses, too, went to sleep in the stable, and the dogs in the yard. The pigeons upon the roof, the flies on the wall. Even the fire that was flaming on the hearth became quiet and slept. The roast meat left off frizzling, and the cook... The roast meat left off frizzling? Yes. Frizzling. And the cook, who was just going to pull the hair of the kitchen boy because he had forgotten something, let him go and went to sleep. <laughs> and the wind fell, and on the trees outside the castle, not a leaf moved again. Everything's asleep. Whoa, that yeah. wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> but that's not part of the deal. <laughs> that's not what the present was. I'm, gl- I'm glad there was a bed there to sort of fall onto. But it's almost like they've frozen. So it's like someone might be falling yes. down the stairs, but they've just sort of frozen just midair. In time. <laughs> Round about the castle, there began to grow a hedge of thorns, which every year became higher, and at last grew close up round the castle and all over it, so that there was nothing of it to be seen, not even the flag upon the roof. But the story of the beautiful sleeping Briar Rose, for so the princess was named, went about the country, so that from time to time, king's sons came and tried to get through the thorny hedge and into the castle. But they couldn't. They found it impossible, for the thorns held fast together as if they had hands, and the youths were caught in them, could not get loose again, and died a miserable death. So this place is surrounded by this massive hedge, which is full of dead princes. (laughs) That's so weird. And that is why I love the Brothers Grimm. You don't get that anywhere else. <laughs> Imagine riding past that on your horse. Yeah. It's that a lot of dead princes just hanging <laughs> in various states of decay. Yeah. It's so grim. I don't remember that in the Disney movie. No, definitely not. So, 
everything's frozen, castle's frozen, the fire's frozen, yeah. dead prince is littered everywhere in the hedge. Roast meat, there's no more frizzle in there. It's bleak. Yeah. It's not looking good. After long, long years, a king's son came again to that country and heard an old man talking about the briar hedge and that a castle was said to stand behind it in which a wonderfully beautiful princess named Briar Rose had been asleep for a hundred years. Wait, what? Basically, an old, an old bloke's telling him the story. Right. But, I mean, if she has been asleep for a hundred years, I mean, you know what I'm going to say. She's going to wake up. He had heard, too, from his grandfather that many king's sons had already come and had tried to get through the thorny hedge, but they had remained sticking fast in it and had died a pitiful death. Then the youth said, I'm not afraid. I will go and see the beautiful Briar Rose. The good old man tried to dissuade him, but he did not listen to his words. Arrogance of youth. But, Adam, you're quite right. By this time, the hundred years had just passed. Yes. And the day had come when Briar Rose was to awake again. Yay. When the king's son came near to the briar hedge, it was nothing but large and beautiful flowers, which parted from each other of their own accord and let him pass unhurt. Then they closed again behind him like a hedge. In the courtyard, he saw the horses and spotted the hounds lying asleep. On the roof sat the pigeons with their heads under their wings. And when he entered the house, the flies were asleep upon the wall. The cook in the kitchen was still holding out his hand to seize the boy. And oh, they have frozen. <laughs> and the maid was sitting by the black hen which she was going to pluck. He went on farther, and in the great hall he saw the whole of the court lying asleep, and up by the throne lay the king and queen. Then he went on still farther, and all was so quiet that a breath could be heard. And at last he came to the tower and opened the door into the little room where Briar Rose was sleeping. There she lay, so beautiful that he could not turn his eyes away, and he stooped down and gave her a kiss. As soon as he kissed her, Briar Rose opened her eyes and awoke and looked at him quite sweetly. <laughs> <laughs> quite sweetly. Oh, morning. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> then they went down together, and the king awoke, and the queen, okay. and the whole court, and looked at each other in great astonishment. And the horses in the courtyard stood up and shook themselves. The hounds jumped up and wagged their tails. The pigeons on the roof pulled out their heads from under their wings, looked round, and flew out into open country. The flies on the walls crept again. The fire in the kitchen burned up and flickered and cooked the meat. The roast began to turn and frizzle again. Oh, <laughs> yeah, frizzling meat! <laughs> yes, my favourite. And the cook gave the boy such a box on the ear that he screamed. <laughs> <laughs> and the <laughs> And the maid plucked the fowl ready for the spit. Everything's back to normal. Everything. It's great, e isn't it? Imagine being in suspended animation for a hundred years. You come to and you get punched in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think I could think of any worse awakening. No. Oh. Wow. And then the marriage of the king's son with Briar Rose was celebrated with all splendor. And they lived contented to the end of their days. The end.
it's a it's a big old story well picked by the listeners yeah i want to say thank you patrons for voting for that story that won our poll for the series finale beating yep. cinderella yes and that was uh, your choice adam sleeping beauty i'm very pleased yeah i was gonna say how you f- how are you feeling immediately about your choice that was awesome i really enjoyed that oh i'm so glad that was a great story <laughs> Uh, really great like there's so many great details and and the way it was written it felt very different to a lot of what we've read before Mm -hmm. yeah i think i agree like uh, it's all that detail yeah big like the crackling fire the frizzling meat frizzling meat which is my new favorite word frizzling frizzle frizzle (laughs) (laughs) the the cook hitting the kitchen boy even even like the rusty key like she goes up the tower and there's a rusty key in the door just all those adjectives they give it a bit more color a bit more depth uh, that we don't normally get, I don't and think. And I think a couple of things, like very early on, she was described as being pretty. I think that's the first time I've heard that adjective in all the stories we've had so far. Oh it's my. always beautiful, never pretty. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. She was so pretty that the king could not contain himself for joy. <laughs> and ordered a feast. <laughs> oh, I need a feast. <laughs> She's have a so feast. pretty. <laughs> oh. I love the... Um, well, I like everything freezing, and then I like the hedge of thorns around the castle. I love that image. It, it's a similar image to me of, like, the cottage in Hansel and Gretel. Like, it's a great yes. fa- fairy tale uh, image. Uh, yeah, like proper classic fairy tale. Uh, you can imagine a hedge so huge <laughs> and thick yeah. that it, it completely hides an entire castle. Yeah, and then there's just, like, princes <laughs> Dead princes Dead everywhere. Princes everywhere. <laughs> I feel like there's nothing special about him because he's just <laughs> he's just in the right place at the right time. He happens yeah. to be the the man yeah. who goes in just when the the curse is lifted. And also it's sort of vaguely implied that the act of him kissing her is what wakes her up when really it's just perfect timing. She wakes up because she the 100 years are over. Adam, that's a radical take. I like it. <laughs> I'm racking my brains here because it's either in the very first version or it might be in another version of this story where it doesn't say that 100 years has passed. So right. it's, it, it gives the impression that he's the right man for the job. Hang on, let me just, let me just check because I've got that in my notes somewhere. I've got a lot of notes. Um, yeah, I've just checked. And in the first version of this story that the Brothers Grimm wrote, it doesn't say 100 years have passed. So it completely right. changes the meaning of the story. It does, because then it is him kissing her yeah. that wakes her up prematurely before yeah. that 100 years is up. That detail perhaps shifts the focus from the prince being Mr. Right to actually it's about time. And it's, yeah. it's possibly about m- uh, maturing. It's about her being at the right point yeah. to accept that kind of thing if that makes sense Ex- uh, no completely that i thought that that he's not the savior here he's just he's in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. it's al- almost incidentally yeah but you're right that actually the the story really is about her it is what it is yeah so we've read 50 tales now and i think this is our first ever dashing prince i don't think we've ever had a prince coming to the rescue although as you say he doesn't really because she woke up anyway have we not? I don't think so. So I feel certain we should have done, but maybe you're right. Well, I mean, I thought we'd be drowning in Dashing Princes by now. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there has been. There probably has, yeah. But, but you're right. Not the idea of the prince saving the day, saving the princess. 
that's what you imagine when you think of a fairy tale. That is that Disney sort of idea of, of fairy tales. That kiss is iconic, even if it wasn't necessary, right? Yeah. That kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I thought we've often talked about narrative motifs in folklore. Mm-hmm. But I'd say this is one of the most famous narrative motifs in all of fiction, not just folklore. The, the kiss. Kissing the princess and waking her up, waking up Sleeping Beauty. I think kind of yeah. that narrative motif, everybody knows it. Now, it's pretty universal. Yeah. I think it probably is present in some other stories that we haven't yet picked. For instance, The Frog Prince. That's, it's pretty key there, isn't it? Yeah, like, but I'd say that's another... I think these famous fairy tales, they have such a huge impact on popular culture. You, you could use the Frog Prince, you could use the Sleeping Beauty motif, Hansel and Gretel pushing the witch in the oven. You could like drop that into something and people would know the reference. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like saying, I am your father. Everybody knows that that's from Star Wars. The, I'd say the, these yeah. are up there, though, these moments, which I think is kind of incredible, really. And I think... You can kind of see everything and anything you like in that moment, that kiss, and and the story in general. But perhaps the most obvious idea is that of sexual awakening, coming of Mm -hmm. age. You've been asleep. Right. And now you're activated with love. (laughs) (laughs) The kiss wakes you up, you know, in quotes. Yes. Yeah. It's It's not a coincidence, I think, that the prophecy is supposed to come true when she's 50. Obviously not yeah. in, by modern standards, but when the story of was course, told, yeah. that what you're saying and what that kiss uh, sort of exemplifies, that's very key, isn't it? That she comes of age. Yeah. I'm not going to torture you with Bruno Bettelheim, our favourite fairy tale psychologist. I appreciate that. <laughs> but he says that he thinks it's a tale about getting your period. Right. Wow. Okay. Pricking your finger and there's the blood. There's okay, the old woman yeah. in the tower. It's like the older generation passing it on to the younger generation. Right. 13 wise women represent the lunar months. He has all this stuff. Wow, okay. And he says, you know, only by embracing your sexual development can you be awake, can you be, you know, fully formed. Right, and that's the waking up. Yeah. Never mind the fact that she's now technically 115 years <laughs> yes. old. Yes. <laughs> yeah, wow, let's not go there. They wake up and they're like, so is the age difference going to be an issue? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... There's just a few things I want to touch upon, I guess, sure. in that story. F- going right back to the beginning, mm-hmm. the frog. <laughs> yes. What's his deal? Because it's easy to forget about him, but this all started with a frog <laughs> that just jumps out of the water and goes, oh, you're going to have a daughter in a year. Bye. <laughs> and she's like, what? Like, That's weird. <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> Well, what's even weirder is in the first version of the story that they wrote, it was a crab. (laughs) I could not see that coming. Why was it a crab? Was she at the beach? Well, why is it a crab? I read, I found the idea that it might have been changed from a crab because of the sexual connotation. Really? Wow. That is really weird. And then I guess the second thing I was going to bring up is... We kind of touched upon it, but it's her 15th birthday. The prophecy is being told yeah. she's going to prick her finger on, on a spindle. Uh, the king thinks he's done everything he, he can. He's burnt yeah. all the spindles in, in the, the whole of his kingdom. Yeah. Even so, maybe <laughs> stick around for your daughter's 15th birthday. It'd be a good idea anyway, wouldn't it? So they're out. So she's got nothing to do. So what's Aww. she going to do to celebrate her 15th birthday? 
walk around the castle from room to room. Brilliant. <laughs> well, when I read it, to me it was kind of exciting, like when you're a kid, you're going exploring, it's cool. I suppose. But now you put it like that, it's really tragic. It's sad, isn't it? Unless they were organising a big surprise for her. Maybe. They were like trying to get the bouncy castle inflated. <laughs> and they, they got it. They got everything sorted. Yeah. And the, the people are going to turn up that evening for the surprise party. They get back in the doors. Boom. Time stops for 100 years. <laughs> Those guests, they're long gone. So I haven't kind of, uh, like I have with other famous ones, kind of broken it down by theme to explore. But um, what I found interesting, particularly about Sleeping Beauty, was that it captures so much of what the Grimms were about and their legacy. So some of the themes we've come across before, such as animism. Animism? Nature's will, in a way. Okay. That taps into that romantic veneration of nature that the Grimms were, right. were big time into. Which we discussed in the three languages, yeah. So in this story specifically, we have the brambles closing and opening themselves. Specifically says of their own accord. They're given sentience. Yeah. In our third ever episode of Grim Reading, the Translations and Evolution episode, I spoke about how this sort of animism was toned down in Victorian English translations of the Grimm stories. And Sleeping Beauty was the example I used. Oh, Wow. I don't even remember that. So in an 1855 English translation of Sleeping Beauty, it was made explicit that the bush was not acting of its own free will. Wow. And why, why is that? Is it heretical? It's exactly. Like yeah. It's verging yeah, okay. on blasphemous. The idea of nature having a will, which is so hard to get our heads around these yeah. days. And if you remember, in our interview with Maria Tatar a few episodes back, mm -hmm. we asked why were these stories so popular in the 19th century. And she said that the value of imagination for children emerged as an idea. Children's literature before the 19th century was just moral lessons about spirituality or safety. Imaginative elements like these were treated with real suspicion. The idea yeah. that imagination could be useful to a child was new. So these stories were genuinely radical. And that's something that we now encourage. We now encourage children to use their imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was previously stamped out. Wow. To the point where when the Brothers Grimm's were writing this, and they could get away with it in Germany because there was an intellectual underpinning to their endeavor. But when these stories came to England, they were just kids' stories. So when yeah. they were imported, that was stripped out. That was censored. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of a historical angle on this story but i find that really sure. fascinating and it's funny that we yeah i mentioned that way back when uh so we've also got spinning and the wise women right yes and these wise women are somewhat familiar i thought they're reminiscent of the fates of ancient greece and the norns of norse mythology female deities who assign mortals their destiny at birth which is exactly what they do in sleeping beauty yeah and they were associated specifically with spinning as well. So they would like spin your life. They'd weave the path of your life. Right. So in that respect, this story does have that relic of a pagan time. So I like that. So I kind of feel like this story has a little bit of everything. And if you think of the story fatalistically, the king is trying to banish fate 
yeah, he tries to destroy all of the spinning wheels. But this story right. says you can't escape your path. Yeah, th- that is an element of the story I th- thought was interesting. Because obviously you think, okay, mm. what if yeah. she hadn't gone in that tower? But th- that's the whole idea that destiny is, is inescapable. It was going to happen. He thinks he's done everything he mm-hmm. can. And basically he has done everything he can. But it's still... So much so that he, he goes on holiday on her birthday. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's so... He's a bit too chilled out about the whole thing. <laughs> but also, you know, in a similar way, it's like it's about not facing reality or the nasty side of life. You know, I've seen it said he's trying to stop her growing up. And you can't do that. Right. right. Overprotective parents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for the rest of the episode, Adam, yeah. we're going to go on a journey through history. From oh, Viking Iceland right up to <gasps> Disney. Okay. Yes, please. That sounds like a journey I want to take. But first things first, it's time for Sleep Facts. <laughs> <laughs> sleep Facts, our, uh, our new feature in the podcast. It's a new section of the show. <laughs> it's <called> Sleep Facts. <laughs> need a little jingle. Sleep Facts. Sleep Facts. She slept 100 years. Yes. Obviously, that's not possible. No, come on now. (laughs) But I've got some interesting sleep facts for you here. Oh, yes, please. A famous sleeper. A famous sleeper. (laughs) Famous sleeper is Nicole Delian. Who? Nicole Delian. (laughs) Oh, that famous sleeper? Never heard of her. (laughs) No, never. Who was somewhat creepily dubbed by the media the real-life sleeping beauty. She's from Newcastle, Pennsylvania and has a rare condition known as Klein-Levin syndrome, or Sleeping Beauty syndrome, which affects around only a thousand people in the whole world. Nicole sleeps 18 to 19 hours a day, and reportedly once slept 64 days in a row. Oh, whoa. And uh, ironically, she missed a family trip to Disneyland because of this. (laughs) That is ironic. (laughs) And... (laughs) And she missed a much-anticipated Katy Perry concert that she had tickets to. So oh Katy no. flew her to Las Vegas and invited her backstage. Oh, that's lovely. So this, yeah, this was fairly recently she came to media attention, probably like 2011. That's, I mean, that's crazy. awful. I mean, yeah. yeah. I think people with Klein-Levin syndrome, I think it can get better the older you get. So you're not kind of, it's not okay. a curse for life necessarily. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see... What was the world's longest sleep? <laughs> world's longest sleep? <laughs> Obviously, that's quite a stupid thing to think about because... No, but it's a great thing to Google. Come well, on. Well, I mean, do you discount comas? Are mm. some people faking as well? Just They're like trying to do the Guinness World Book like, records. It's like, you're just, you're just pretending. <laughs> well, on that note, there is actually a record for world's longest sleep deprivation. Oh, so the opposite. Of going without sleep. That's scary, because that messes up your head. In 1964, Randy Gardner stayed awake without stimulants for 264 consecutive hours, 11 days. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And people have tried to beat that, but the Guinness World Records now doesn't... It's not accepted. Because it's really dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Attemptees um, have reported strong hallucinations, particularly... Yes, I've heard of this, yeah. So mad. I mean, it, it's literally a, a method of torture. Yeah. Fortunately, Randy didn't suffer any long-term health complications. Okay, that's good. Oh, man, I've got so many sleep facts for you. 
G- give me some sleep facts. Longest sleeping mammal? Longest sleeping mammal. The sloth? Sloths, 15 to 18 hours a day. Koalas average 20 to 22 hours a day. Oh, wow. I mean, if you think about it, though, when you s- whenever you see them, they look really sleepy. <laughs> they're, like, mm-hmm. what? they're not really there. <laughs> That's amazing, though. They're barely even awake. Horses only sleep two hours a day. Another little sleep fact. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've got so many <laughs> sleep facts. <laughs> Give me some more sleep facts. Well, I like this one. There is evidence that sleeping through the night is relatively new to society. What? Apparently, people used to have two sleeps of equal length. So they'd go to bed when the sun sets, and then in the middle of the night, you'd wake up and pray or read or, you know, have some fun. And then you'd have a second sleep until dawn. Right. From the 17th century, references start to diminish, and it's speculated that with the advent of street lighting and coffee houses and so forth, people stayed up later and so had less time to sleep. That could be one of the reasons we don't do this anymore. Right. There you go. There's a few sleep facts for you. I thought you'd enjoy this. Love it. I love it. I love good sleep facts. In German, the Sleeping Beauty is called Dornroschen. Dornroschen. Which uh, translates Briar Rose. Okay. Uh, it was first collected from Marie Hassenpflug. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marie and her three other sisters were key contributors to the Grimm's collection. They were uh, family friends from Cassel, the town where the Grimm's were from. Yeah. Marie gave several of the most famous stories to the Grimm's, including Red Riding Hood, Wow. Girl Without Hands, and Sleeping Beauty. The big ends. So that was the Grimm's version of the tale that we heard. Yes. But that is only a little droplet in the ocean of this story, Adam. Oh, shall we, are, are we going to take a swim? I hope you brought your rubber ring. <laughs> <laughs> Always. So Sleeping Beauty has a deep, expansive lineage through time, and it won't surprise you to learn that many writers before the Grimm's had put similar stories to the page. Mm-hmm. So if the Brothers Grimm version that we just read and Disney are about uh, love and waiting for a noble, heroic man to save you, that very quickly <laughs> unravels as we go back in time. So, yeah, let's, we're going to go on a return journey through some of the previous versions. We're going to look at four key stages of the story and see how it developed. I'll, I'm okay. going to try and be as brief as possible, but I'm mindful that you have, throughout all of Series 2, kept asking me for like extra stories because I wasn't delivering them. So <laughs> you're now going to get a deluge of story. <laughs> it's all at once. Yeah. I love it. Christmas has come early. Uh, just as a little warning, things are about to get very grim. So oh, wow. some okay. subject matter will not be suitable for all listeners. Do you want to give like a warning, Adam? Like a klaxon warning? Certified grim. <laughs> no, that's just a vehicle reversing. So our first stop is Paris, 1697, 116 years before the Grimm. Wow. Writer and courtier Charles Perrault releases his seminal fairy tale book. First story in it is a little number called La Belle au Bois d'Omma, The Sleeping Beauty in the Woods. La Belle au Bois d'Omma. It's pretty much the same as the Grimm's story to begin with. Kid 
fairies, curse, all that business. Whole household falls asleep. Prince appears a hundred years later. Yeah. When he sees the Sleeping Beauty, he falls to his knees and she wakes up. He doesn't kiss her. Oh, he doesn't actually go near yeah. her. He just collapses from her sheer beauty. <laughs> like, oh! uh, so, yeah, so she's woken up without a kiss. Which, actually, we didn't really talk about how that's... Is that okay to kiss a sleeping woman? A sleeping strange girl? We didn't really yeah, talk about we that. We didn't. It prob- <laughs> goes I mean, without saying. Let's just say, no, it's not okay and move on. Okay. So that's happened. She's awake. Then they sat down and spent four hours chatting, had dinner, then got married. In the Grimm's, that's job done. But here, that's just the first half of the story. It's got an inbuilt sequel. Whoa. In the morning, he says, look, love, I've got to go. My dad. <laughs> and she's like, wait, 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 what? My dad is the king. He's going to be worried. I've got to get home. He goes home and he lies to his mum and his dad about where he was. And for the next two years, he sneaks out to go see his wife in secret. And they have two children together. So the Sleeping Beauty is a secret. The kids are called, there's a girl named Dawn and a boy named Day. They've named their kids. That's nice. Dawn and Day, yeah. His mother, the queen, however, she was suspicious. But he never told her the secret because despite loving his mother, she was actually an ogre. (laughs) Whoa, that's a twist. One day... His dad dies. So now he's the king. So the prince is the king. Oh, wow. And he makes his marriage public, finally. And he brings home Sleeping Beauty and his two kids back to his own castle. And it's all lovely, lovely. What's happened to his ogre mum? Well, exactly, Adam. Sometime later, he's got to go to war. And he leaves the kingdom to be managed by his ogre mum. She then immediately sends the wife and two kids to a summer house in the woods. And she says to her steward... Tomorrow evening for supper, I want to eat Little Dawn. What? That's not okay. She wants to eat her grandchild. Stuart, he got his knife and he went to kill Dawn, but he couldn't do it. And instead, he took Dawn home and he served the Queen Mother a lamb, pretending it was the child. Ah, it's the old deer trick, but yeah. Same thing happened with Little Day again. Finally, one evening, the Queen Mother said... I want to eat the young queen. Steward thought, well, I can't trick her here. So I've got, I've got to do it. I've got to kill the Sleeping Beauty. Why can't he trick her here? Well, he thinks it's going to be harder, basically. So he's like, I've got to do this. Right, okay. Now he's up by the queen's room with a knife and he's pumping himself up. And he bursts into the queen's room. However, he did not want to kill her without any warning and told her, with great respect, of the orders he'd received from the queen mother. <laughs> My dear, your majesty, I'm about to kill you. Do your duty, she said, stretching out her neck. Carry out the command. Then I shall see my children again. My poor children, whom I loved so much. Oh, she thinks they're dead. She's not in on the... Right, okay. No, my lady. No, no, my lady, said the poor... (laughs) (laughs) You're my my butterfly. Sugar. I might have embellished that slightly. (laughs) (laughs) No, my lady, no, said the poor steward in tears. You will not die, and I will make sure that you see your beloved children again. And he takes her and he hides her in his house with the kids. uh, And he served the queen mother a doe instead. Excellent, yes, Yes, finally. Classic. One day, prowling around the woods, the queen mother hears the kids and the queen talking in the steward's house. They've been rumbled. 
Uh-oh. The Queen Mother orders a huge cauldron brought and filled with toads and vipers and snakes of every sort and to throw in the Queen and the two children and the steward and his wife. The executioner was about to chuck them all in when the King appeared. In amazement, he asked what this horrible spectacle could mean. Nobody dared to explain. And it was then that the ogress, maddened by what she saw before her, flung herself headfirst into the cauldron and was devoured in an instant by the horrid creatures she'd put there. Despite everything, the king was upset. She was his mother. But he soon consoled himself with his beautiful wife and children. And the moral of this tale... For girls who wait a while, so they may wed. A loving husband, handsome, rich, kind. That's natural enough, I'd say. But just the same to stay in bed a hundred years asleep. You'll never find such patience in a girl today. Another lesson may be meant. Lovers lose nothing if they wait and tie the knot of marriage late. They'll not be any less content. Okay. <laughs> the end. Okay. So there's no, there's no kiss. But it adds a whole second section and has some cannibalism in it. Epic. Yes. I don't really understand why... Uh, basically, she's got this cauldron ready. She's about to throw all these people yeah. in. She gets rumbled yeah. by her yeah. son. And she's like... Uh-oh. And just dives in herself. She, it's like she goes mad. She's like... Rah! She just starts going mental and just throws herself in. I didn't really understand the moral, to be honest. <laughs> Is it saying, basically, wait, wait a bit. Don't rush into marriage. It's saying for girls who want to wait a little a little while to find the right man, that's natural enough, I'd say. But then he has a cheeky little joke. He says to stay in bed for 100 years of sleep. These days, you won't find a girl with patience like that. Yeah, what's yeah. that? I mean, feels... A bit weird. But yeah, she just, uh, she just threw herself in there, right? That doesn't make any sense, as you say. The answer might lie in a previous version. Okay, we're going deeper. We're going deeper. Sole, Luna, Italia. So our next stop is Naples, 1636, 176 years before the Brothers Grimm, where we will find our good friend, the soldier, writer, and poet, Giambattista Basile. Basile. His fairy tale book, The Pentamarone, featured the story Talia, Sun, and Moon, or Sole, Luna, Italia. So we open on a great lord whose wife has just given birth to a daughter. They name her Talia. Wise men tell her fortune. No fairies here, just wise men. Oh. That great peril awaits her from a piece of stalk in some flax. So kind of same thing. She grows up, a okay. piece of flax gets stuck in her nail, and she fell down dead. Specifically dead. Whoa, she dies. She's dead. Whoa. Distraught father plops her on a silk cushion and shutters up the house. One day, a young king finds himself there, doesn't specify how much time has passed. He makes his way in, and he sees the beautiful, dead woman. And uh, I'm going to hand over to Basile from here. Crying aloud, he beheld her charms and felt his blood course hotly through his veins. He lifted her in his arms and carried her to bed, where he gathered the first fruits of love. No, Mm -hmm. thank you, bye. Leaving her in the bed, he returned to his own kingdom, where, in the pressing business of his realm, he, for a time, thought no more about this incident. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't even put into words what's just happened. He gathered the first fruits of love. From a dead woman, and then went off and forgot about her. Yeah. Basile. 
He's a scoundrel and a half, isn't he? Now, after nine months, Talia delivered two beautiful children, a boy and a girl. Okay, I don't like two this. Two fairies appeared who took care of the children and helped the mother to nurse them. But <laughs> once, by mistake, they sucked on Talia's finger and drew out the splinter. And she woke up. Later, the king remembered his little dalliance and returned. He finds her awake, explains everything. They become great friends. He stayed a few days. And then he said, I've got a shoot. I'll come back soon and bring you back to my kingdom. This one's also got a part two as well. So he goes home, but he can't stop thinking about them and keeps saying under his breath, Talia, sun, moon. That's the name of the kids, sun and moon. Talia, sun, moon. Keep saying it. And his wife hears his mutterings. Oh, he's got a wife? Yeah, he's married. Yeah. Oh. She's deeply suspicious. It's like, why is he muttering that all the time? She calls the king's secretary and she says, listen, buddy, what happens when the king goes out hunting? Tell me or else. He's terrified and spills the beans. She is not happy, the wife. No, understandably. She brings Talia and the kids back to the castle and tells the cook to cook the children and feed them to the king. But like the French one, they're rescued by the cook who serves another animal in their place. It's getting juniper tree vibes from that. Ooh, yeah. Parent eating his own child. Finally, the jealous queen fetches Talia and confronts her. Welcome, Madam Slycheat. Are you indeed the pretty mischief maker? Are you the weed that has caught my husband's eye and given me all this trouble? So you are come at last to purgatory, where I'll make you pay for all the ill you have done me. Talia says, Whoa, look, I was unconscious. I had no idea. If you'll <laughs> yeah. excuse me, I'll please leave. The queen's like, no. She orders Talia to be thrown on a fire. Oh Talia dear. fell to her knees and begged that she could first take off her garments. Um, the queen, the <laughs> queen thought, well, they're nice clothes. Shame to waste them. Go on then, undress. Uh, so Talia starts to strip, screaming as each piece of clothing is removed. When she was finally taking off her petticoat, the king appeared and said, "What on earth is going on here?" <laughs> as you would. <laughs> His wife. He's standing over a fire watching his mistress strip while she screams. <laughs> I bet you didn't think you'd say that today. <laughs> I know. I hope you're enjoying this version of Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> <laughs> this is so far removed from like, yeah. From the Disney version. <laughs> <laughs> so the king's come in. The wife turns to him and she tells him, I know your secret and I fed you your own children. Ha. Apoplectic with rage, the king orders his wife to be cast into the fire, along with his secretary, who'd helped her. <laughs> her secretary looks around like, what? Are you serious? He was about to have the cook thrown in too, but the cook said, you know, my lord, I've saved your children. They're at my house. The cook's wife brought forth the two children before their father, and he never tired at playing the game of three with his wife and children, making a mill wheel of kisses, now with one... Then with the other, he gave a generous reward to the cook. He married Talia, and she enjoyed a long life with her husband and children, thus experiencing the truth of the proverb, those whom fortune favours find good luck even in their sleep. So that is the Neapolitan uh, Sleeping Beauty. What is this wheel of kisses he's doing? I'm not sure. Did he kill his wife? He killed his wife. And he married Talia and did a mill wheel of kisses with his family. Um, so there we go. So as well as, uh, as well as cannibalism, this story adds adultery, necrophilia, and a striptease. 
Yeah, everything about that is very disturbing. If the Brothers Grimm one was metaphorically about sexual awakening, it becomes literal sexual awakening in this one, right? Very literal. Yeah, and a horrible like situation where you've got the classic kind of infidelity and uh, the woman gets blamed when it's the man that's been adulterous. And in this case, the woman's literally not done anything wrong yeah. because she was dead. <laughs> I mean... So, by this point, it's certainly not a story about love or a- ending no. with true love's kiss. But it's a story of, of rivalry, survival, jealousy. There's a power struggle between two women, either yeah. a stepmother in Perose or a wife in Basile's. Yeah. So uh, what are you, what are you, how are you feeling about Sleeping Beauty now after learning this? Dirty. So there are two more stops on our journey, but I don't want you to lose the will to live. So I think we're just going to whiz <laughs> straight past them, if that's all right. Okay. What, do I get to look at them as we whiz past? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. If you, uh, if you look out the window, you'll see the French-speaking medieval world of the 1300s, where we will find arguably the original Sleeping Beauty. Okay. A romance poem called Persephorest has a Sleeping Beauty story that is very saucy. Oh, hello. It involves a knight wrestling with whether or not to jump into bed with the Sleeping Beauty. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. We'll look at that maybe more in the Patreon podcast. Sure. Because it's great fun. It's full of knights in shining armor, and it's, it's nuts. Thinking about jumping into bed. That sounds great. But for now, it's time for our final stop. Iceland, somewhere in the 1200s. Wow, this is the best train ever. (laughs) Story train. (laughs) So far, the history of this story has not been very Germanic, you may have noticed. Sure. Fortunately, though, the Brothers Grimm found a flicker of Sleeping Beauty in Norse mythology. So after annoying Odin, which is never a good idea, the king of the gods puts a Valkyrie called Brunhild into an enchanted sleep and surrounds her by a wall of shields. The famous dragon-slaying hero, Sigurd, breaks through the shields and awakens her. From there, it then gets very melodramatic and departs from anything like Sleeping Beauty. But because of this motif, the Brothers Grimm thought Sleeping Beauty sufficiently Germanic to include it in their collection. So without the Vikings, we may never have heard of Sleeping Beauty, as they may have decided to erase it from their stories. Right, but because there was that slight Germanic tint to it, I kept it on. We, mu- we need to thank the Vikings. Thank you, Vikings. <laughs> oh, man, there's a bunch of other tales, too. Too many to name. There's an awesome one from ancient Egypt called The Doomed Prince. But Ooh. life is a little bit too short, so maybe... Oh, come on. It sounds like an Indiana Jones <laughs> film. <laughs> it is really cool. Uh. All right, okay, let's look at that in Grim Fables. I promise you <laughs> The Doomed Prince for the fables. Fantastic. So basically, this story is big, complicated, expansive. The main constant to me seems to be a woman is put to a long sleep and a man wakes her up. That's the seed and you kind of build it from there. 
And all the other elements yeah. are kind of non-essential, really. Even the prophecy. Yeah, they come and go. Yeah. And I think something important to, to keep in mind is that all these stories were written by educated men at different points in time. So mm. that's just a kind of glimpse, like the tips of the icebergs of a yeah. story that's circulating under the surface among everyday people. Interesting, yeah, absolutely. So, that Sigurd guy who wakes up Brunhild, he's a dragon slayer, which beautifully brings us full circle on our return trip to the 20th century Disney version of Sleeping Beauty, where the prince fights a dragon. So we're back. We've come all the way round. <laughs> it's a big, long old journey to get back to where we started. What Does that happen in the Disney version then? I don't know the Disney version really. Right, so this is the thing. So I was thinking... Incredibly, this is our first big Disney film we've crossed over with in 50 stories or 50 episodes. And I really wasn't sure how to navigate this. So what I thought, Adam, if you're up for it, we could watch it. That sounds like an amazing idea. Up for that? Because I don't remember ever seeing it, so I'd be well up for that. Awesome. I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's from 1959. Mm -hmm. The credits of the movie claim that it's based on Perrault's version of Sleeping Beauty. Uh, okay. The one with the uh, ogre mother. But yeah. ac- actually, the Grimm's one is the only one that has the iconic kiss. And the story, the Disney uh, film, takes roughly the same arc as the Grimm's one, ending more or less with her waking up. So basically, it's more like the Brothers Grimm one. Even if they're claiming yeah. it's based on Perot. And I thought you'd be really pleased to hear, before we watch it, that the handsome prince in the Disney movie is called Prince Philip. <laughs> So Prince Philip, Prince <laughs> Philip, is in Disney. <laughs> I should have Sleeping Beauty. I well, think he's named after the actual Prince Philip. I the think actual Prince so, Philip. Yeah. That's amazing. Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky created the score for the Sleeping Beauty Ballet, first performed in January 1890 at St. Petersburg's Mariinsky Theatre. Walt Disney wanted to make his own score for the Sleeping Beauty movie. But in the end, they adapted the Tchaikovsky opera score as it was so darn good. Should we have a blast? Do you want to hear a bit? I'd love to hear some, yeah. I don't actually know how it goes. Oh, I think you'll know it. This is uh, known as the Garland Waltz, which Disney adapted for the main theme, uh, Once Upon a Dream. So it may sound quite familiar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the stuff. can't be a dreamy Russian waltz. Oh, I know you can't. I've you just always can't. said it. Oh, what do you reckon? Fascinating. Did you enjoy the other versions? Yes. Uh, they got into some strange places. I mean, I feel like lately with Thousand Furs <laughs> and with this one, we've touched on some taboo, pretty taboo things, like more yeah. taboo than we've ever had. Yeah, weird, isn't it? That's so true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's always a treat to get some, some Perot and especially some Basile. And I like the Grimm story. I think in the back of my mind, I've already started thinking of this score. 
it's not going to be low because it is a great okay, story. Yeah. But it's also not upper, upper echelon. I, th- I feel like it's thoroughly earned an 8.5, which is quite a common score, I give, but yeah. it's like on a par with a lot of other stories we've heard, I think. It's it's like it's an cool. A minus that score, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, so what what holds it back? Do you think for you? There are some great elements to it. Some really great elements. I really like. In fact, one of my favourite bits of the story is at the beginning, mm. where with the thirteen wise women, <laughs> and the one wise woman who's angry purely because she wasn't she was told to stay at home and wasn't yeah. invited, <laughs> comes bursting in and makes you know starts off this ch- chain of events. The, the other, you know, the last remaining wise woman's got to try and sort of moderate the effects of that. And that's a great scene. So it's, re- it's really great like that. But ultimately, once it gets going, mm. the story is basically a load of people are asleep and not much happens. Yeah. So it's not, it doesn't have that twisty, uh, you know, windy journey that we often go on. It's actually quite linear in a way. Yeah, yeah. A battle with a dragon would have been nice. I think it could have been improved with just keeping the crab. <laughs> the crab's a great character. Why get rid yeah. of that? Yeah. Too much frog um, recently. Yeah. But yeah, 8.5. I don't know how, if you're thinking along similar lines, mm. but that's kind of my Very thinking. similar. I think for, for <laughs> me, there's something powerful in there with the idea of stripped down, something dormant, and through a struggle or powerful forces something arrives, like a key to unlock something dormant, you know, and you, you can yeah. extrapolate that as you will. So I think there's something quite powerful in that idea, and that's why it perhaps reverberates so strongly. I like the fact that, in a weird way, the Brothers Grimm are like underdogs here. They're background players. Like, their version is the shortest one. It's a simpler version of an already well-known story. That Perot story was already in yeah. England. But they pull it out of the bag. They've got the iconic kiss, and it's, Dis- it's their yeah. version that basically Disney used. Yeah, And I like, yeah, how, as I said earlier, it's quintessential grim, you know, from like the romanticism and the animism to the connection with ancient mythology. Mm-hmm. And also, this is the first classic Disney movie one we've had. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I think that that almost puts a lot of hype on the story, I think. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I, It didn't take me in the way Rapunzel or Hansel and Gretel did, actually. No. So I'm not going to go nine or, or above. I'm thinking the same. Yeah, I agree. I'm thinking I'm thinking 8.5. Yeah. Solid score. Solid so score. what's that? 17 out of 20? 17 out of 20. I think that's that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. I think that's about right. A very fitting end to uh, Series 2, man. Yes. It's been an absolute blast. We've had some great stories. We've had a lot of great engagement with people. So many wonderful emails, messages on all the different platforms. Mm-hmm. Our patrons have been fantastic. Yeah. Really enjoyed letting them choose some of the stories. Yes. <laughs> Although I wouldn't mind having a few more of mine picked. That would be nice. True. You've had one. One, <laughs> one story. Uh, well, there is... <laughs> so the poll, uh, obviously at the time of recording, for the second episode of Series 3 is still open. It's still very much all to play for, so you could have yeah. a victory still. The poll is still live, and the choice is... The Valiant Little Tailor or King Thrushbeard. So please get voting. The poll is available to all patrons from $1 a month upwards. The winner will be the second episode of Series 3. So Adam, you now need to choose 
the first story of series three, the premiere, what is it going to be? So the first story of series three is going to be the Frog King or Iron Henry. Okay. That's a biggie. We've got to start. We've got to start in style. That's the first one in the collection, isn't it? It is. It's number one, volume one. Wow. So that's like the Frog Prince, basically. Yeah, exactly. As we mentioned earlier. Epic. Wow. Excellent choice. But yeah, no, it's been it's been fantastic, and we'll be back in the autumn, possibly. We haven't quite worked it out yet, but we're going to go away for a little summer break. I hope everyone has enjoyed the series and I hope you all have a, a good summer as well. But we'll, yeah, we'll still be here behind yeah, the scenes. Exactly. So if you, if you have any messages or anything, please do get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. I'm guessing we'll be able to meet up face to face by then. I'm hoping so. I should certainly hope so. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that being back in the same room. Yeah. yeah. If you want more Grim, you can sign up to become a patron and listen to our Grim Fables patron-only podcast where Adam reads me, uh, Aesop's Fables, and we sometimes discuss extra stuff from the Grim stories. And we're going to keep doing those throughout the summer, most likely, I think. If you are missing us and you're completely caught up, up to date, head over to our uh, our Patreon. You can sign up and you get to hear even more of us prattling on about nothing <laughs> as if you're not sick to death of us <laughs> um, so have you got any have you got any plans for your break adam oh what what will i do i'll probably be uh staying at home <laughs> oh tell me more <laughs> um we'll see how the lockdown develops can i uh enliven your lockdown please do two things Firstly, I'd like you to join me in watching Disney Sleeping Beauty. Well, of course. I'd love to. And secondly, we received some very exciting information recently from listener Kristen Sue, who pointed out that there is a Korean sitcom called My Girlfriend is a Nine-Tailed Fox. (laughs) (laughs) That is perfect. So if you're really going stir crazy, we could possibly try and set up a Netflix watch party, I was thinking. Oh, if people that are would interested. Be amazing. Yeah, you're up for that? My girlfriend is a nine tailed fox. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've got me sold. Uh, that sounds amazing. Thank you, Kristen, for that. Yeah. So everybody enjoy your summers, that's an order. We'll see you back, I guess, yeah. for the Frog King. Stay safe and we'll see you later in the year. See you then. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash grimreading to find out how and also see the range of benefits available as a thank you from us. You can, of course, email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at grimreadingpod and we're also on Instagram and Facebook at grimreading. You can find us on podbean at podbean.com slash grimreading And we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim.